Hello and welcome to Discipleship, The Hard Sayings. I'm your host, Darren Laws, and we just thank you for tuning in and hope you're doing well and uh, growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, as we get into the seven churches. Uh, We will work through all of them, uh, kicking off today with the church at Ephesus. Very excited about this as uh, the state of the church today seems a little bleak, uh, a little man centered, um, and seems as we are kind of falling away from what our Lord would desire us to do uh, so that we can possibly uh, be more friendly with the world. so we're, we're in dangerous times, we're in dark times, uh, we're in times when, uh, as Isaiah 5.20 says, uh, we're calling evil good and, and good evil, and bitter sweet, sweet, bitter, uh, everything's being turned upside down. Those who strive for holiness and righteousness are, are being scorned and, and uh, called the enemy which shouldn't be surprising to us, uh, as the Bible tells us these days will come. Uh, and they're here, I believe, and only going to get worse. But the big question is, as a church, and a local church, as a body of Christ, how do, how do, how do we operate? Uh, what are we doing? Are we truly striving to honor our great God and to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or... Are we, in fact, trying to uh, be more like the world, hoping we might reach them uh, that way, which we know that won't work, uh, because if you, if you become like the world, you will, in fact, never reach the world. You will just make yourself more useless uh, as you go along, because if you act like the world, why would they think they need saving, and what would they need saving from? So it's very dangerous as we do this. So as a, as a local church, you know, how, how are we operating? You know, are we seeking uh, our direction from Scripture? Or are we adding in some of the things that we might think might be more beneficial because possibly the way God said to do it might not be good enough? When in fact, I think it's completely sufficient. Uh, we know from the Old Testament that there was times when they tried to alter some things. You had uh, Leviticus 10 with uh, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons. They offered up strange fire to God, thinking they might do it better or had a new idea. And that same fire they offered up, God consumed them, and they died. And God told them to be put outside the camp and for Aaron not to even mourn over them, lest he die. Uh, so God's pretty serious about the way he, he wants us to worship Him as we come together. And we also know in Second uh, Samuel chapter 6 with Uzzah uh, and David, as they were bringing the ark, uh, they put it on a new cart. And everybody was in agreement with this. They thought it was a great idea. And in their hearts, they were worshiping God. They were singing praises to God, rejoicing in this great God, the living and true God, excited to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. But they didn't do it the way God commanded it to be done. They did it the way the pagan Philistines did it in 1 Samuel chapter 6. They put it on a new cart, um, and Uzzah, when that when that oxen stumbled and that uh, Ark of the Covenant looked like it was going to fall and Uzzah reached out his hand and God struck him dead for touching the Ark. And because we're not supposed to do it that way. He said for the Ark to be carried by the poles, by the Levites. So God's pretty specific and I don't believe he's changed his mind uh, that he demands us to worship him the way he says to and john 4 tells us to do so in spirit and truth uh, through the preaching of his word singing of 
psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, songs that are pleasing to him and about him, to him, uh, for all of his goodness towards us. So I guess the big question comes as we go through these these letters uh, to the seven churches. Um, what would the Lord Jesus Christ say if he critiqued the church we attend? Uh, I know we all attend usually uh, different churches here and there. Uh, so your local church that you attend, what would he say? What would he be pleased with? And is there anything that he might not be pleased with? And, and if there is, perhaps maybe we should get rid of that. And uh, no matter what our personal feelings on it may be, um, our goal should be to honor our true and living God and exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that should be our number one goal and to do all that he's told us to do and uh, that would be to get the gospel out to the lost out in this world to make disciples and uh, that's what we need to be doing we need to be about the father's business uh, not so much about our own business uh, but sometimes we get wrapped up in that but anyway we're going to get into uh, this church at Ephesus um, in Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 and here at this city of Ephesus uh, pretty common information about it Ephesus was located about three miles inland on the Aegean Sea at the mouth of the Caister River making it a great harbor in Asia Minor and it had four great trade roads running through it, making it known as the Gateway to Asia. Very busy city. Uh, the exact population of this city in the New Testament was, is unknown, uh, to be sure, but there's possibly about 225,000, uh, some speculate. Um, that's debatable. But it's very clear that this was a thriving cosmopolitan center of trade. All kinds of folks coming through here, uh, not only of trade, but of religion and of recreation. Um, a lot going on in this city. Uh, it was a, a city known for great idolatry and, and pagan religions, um, as we can you can read about in Acts 19 and 24. Um, and Ephesus in the day of Paul, it was the third or fourth largest city in the world at that time. And it was the home of the Temple of Artemis, or to the Romans, known as Diana, a goddess of fertility. This temple was built around 323 B.C. and destroyed by Goths around 262 A.D., roughly, uh, depending on the history you read about it. And uh, it was known uh, as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. This was a massive temple. It was a pretty big spectacle and a lot of money being made off of this goddess a lot of things going on a lot of just all kinds of idolatry and pagan worship not really unlike what we see today uh, even here in America um, but probably all over the world as well uh, there's a lot of pagan worship here in America a lot of idol worship here in America uh, even though we may not build these massive temples to them uh, we have a lot of idols, and we will get into that as we go through some of these seven churches. Uh, and this temple brought a lot of money. Um, I mentioned Acts 19:24, and uh, we'll take a take a, a quick look at it. Um, it was a very prosperous prosperous business uh, in in Ephesus, and. A lot of people were unhappy about that. Uh, it's funny how that works. When the gospel of Jesus Christ comes around and lives start to change and, and people start to change because they're being made new, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, and all of a sudden people start getting angry. They start getting upset. Um, but there was a very prosperous business in the selling of these idols, 
and uh, during uh, Paul's third missionary journey, and through firm preaching of the word, there also arose this uh, disturbance. Uh, This is in Acts chapter 19. Uh, I'll start in verse 23, and it says at the same time there arose no small stir about that way, and that way being those that followed Jesus Christ. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. So this was a, a big financial business. I mean, they were making a lot of money here. And when you start messing with the money, there comes a problem. It says, Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, we know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. Uh, we can see the effects of the gospel uh, coming through as people are being transformed uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is an amazing thing. I think sometimes we, we spend a lot of time today thinking we need to transform our communities or our cities or change them or do all of this when the reality is what we as believers need to do is take the gospel out to this lost world and let God save souls as He sees fit. And through the saving of those souls, each life will be transformed and be made a new creature, and old things will pass away, and behold, all things are come new. And it's through that that things get transformed, not by the works of trying to transform them. And we see that here. Um, Paul didn't set out to make this place better. He set out uh, to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out, and in doing so, it was creating a very big problem. Uh, People were no longer wanting uh, these little shrines and keepsakes uh, to worship. And so it created a very big problem. And as it continues on, It says that, uh, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipped. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, Men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. So now we have all these people all wound up and they continue on. uh, Just getting all... And they don't even know why a lot of them. They just... Kind of like how some of these riots work... uh, People get all wound up and things start happening and getting destroyed and tore up and people show up and they don't even know what's going on, but they join in. Um, out of Sometimes just out of sheer ignorance and, uh, and it's really sad. But th- that's what was going on here in Ephesus uh, with this great temple and, and just a lot of pagan worship and sexual immorality and just a whole lot of things going on. And in the midst of all of that, we have this church here uh, that was planted. uh, Not exactly sure when. It could have been um, from Acts 18 when it speaks of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, When he left them there and they had a little house church. And then it also, uh, we know later on, um, that Paul left Timothy there in 1 Timothy 1.3. Um, so we know he was left at at Ephesus, and Ephesus would have been a spiritually strong church. 
You know, it was founded on the solid rock of Christ. Uh, had an amazing beginning. Um, so as we get started here, let's just uh, read through verses 1 through 7. And he says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and how thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience. For my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. So here we have a what seems to be a fairly good letter uh, to this church at Ephesus. Um, this little church was probably started somewhere around 52 AD or so and and Revelation was written about 95 96 um, AD. So we have this letter here penned just over 40 years after its beginnings um, and we know that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians uh, somewhere around 60 to 62 AD uh, so this is not a very old church uh, hasn't been around very long we have churches around now been around for hundreds of years I know the church I attend has been around for well over a hundred years um, which is which is really good that they're still standing and still going and and hopefully still pleasing to God and and serving God as their number one priority but here in verse one we start off with unto the angel of the church of Ephesus right and the angel here would be probably a leader or pastor of the church um, as uh, who's being instructed here. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And by this, this introduction, uh, we know that this comes from chapter 1 and verse 20, when it says that the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are are the seven churches so this is a pretty amazing statement this lets us know that christ isn't only putting out a letter to his church but he's amongst his church he's moving about his churches um and that's that's a pretty amazing statement. And basically, what's being written to these seven churches is very relevant for our church today. Um, this letter could have been written just as easily today as it was uh, two thousand years ago. So we really need to take heed to what's being said to these churches. Um, And we can also find a lot of comfort as we read these letters and as we know that Christ is amongst his church. Uh, in our Bible study Wednesday night at church, uh, we talked about um, how uh, Jesus Christ was building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And uh, what a comforting thing that is, that no matter how things look today, no matter how bleak it might look or how messed up the churches may look um, all across this nation and world to know that Christ's church 
is still doing well. It's thriving. It's, it's growing as he sees fit. Our sovereign God has all of these things completely under control. And this reminds me of even uh, the Apostle John uh, as he's penning this book of Revelation um, for us. That as he is on the Isle of Patmos there uh, for the Word of God and, and, and sharing of the Gospel, that things look pretty bleak. Uh, probably not the way he imagined that they would. He's the last living apostle. Uh, everybody's been martyred. Uh, the church is looking pretty rough. And here he is exiled to the Isle of Patmos, but he gets great encouragement um, as he gets these revelations uh, and writes this amazing book for us. Uh, so God always has a way of encouragement uh, for us through his word. Um, I think it's wonderful that we don't have to seek outside sources um, for our encouragement that we have 66 books uh, filled uh, with encouragement uh, from our great God and he also gives us a body of Christ uh, that we can spend time with that we can get to know and, and that we can love one another and grow with one another and help one another and encourage one another in the word and it's just an uh, amazingly beautiful thing uh, as we do things God's way. Um, but Ephesus was, ultimately, it was a, an amazing church. Um, this church, uh, any, any true believer today, I believe, would want to attend this church. We'd want to be a part of that. He, he had a lot of good things to say about it. He says in verse 2, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them, or tested them, which say that they are apostles and are not, and hast found them to be liars. This church was a discerning church, uh, which means they knew what they were talking about. They were a laboring church, a working church. They didn't just come in and sit on pews. You know, if you, if you get the Webster Dictionary interpretation uh, for like toiling or laboring. It says to work hard, to labor, not lazy, long, strenuous, fatiguing labor. So this was a this was a working church. They were unwavering. They were consistent. Their faith was strong. It was just an absolutely amazing church. It says that they couldn't tolerate evil. So not only were they a discerning church but they hated evil and they tested everything that came through and as a church today this this is what we need to be doing uh, we need to be trying everything that comes through we need to be like Bereans uh, searching the scriptures daily to even see if these things are so uh, but the fact that they were 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 trying these ones that claimed to be apostles because all because somebody claims something as we well know doesn't mean that they are in fact uh, if they claim to be a christian and doesn't necessarily mean that they are christian first uh, thessalonians 5 verses 20 and 21 says despise not prophesyings prove all things and hold fast to that which is good you know in other words despise not the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Don't despise that, but test it. Test it and make sure that what you're hearing is true and cling to that. Cling to that which is good. So when we hear the true Word of God being proclaimed, we cling to it and it transforms our lives and we reject anything that is false. And we get the same idea in 1 John um, chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2 and he tells us that uh, beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world hereby know ye the spirit of God every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God so we're to try everything to test everything 
Um, so this was just an amazing discerning church, and we should be a discerning church as well. Uh, we have no reason not to be. We, we have access daily to the Word of God. We can read it. We can study it. There's no reason that a church today shouldn't be a discerning church uh, unless we're lazy in the Scriptures, unless we don't want to invest the time in the study of the Scriptures, um, which sadly I think uh, happens a lot today that the Word of God gets put on the back burner. We might say all we need is a, a little devotion, and that's good, but that's, that's not biblical. Uh, the biblical mandate is to meditate upon God's Word day and night. Um, I know we can't walk around all day with a Bible in our hand. I wish we could, but we can't. But we do have to make the best use of our time, which means that every opportunity we get, we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be in it reading and studying, and not just on the surface, but digging deep into it. Uh, to, to learn and grow because of our great God. I mean, Romans 12:1 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give yourselves, give your, your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, I mean, why does he tell us to do that? He says, because of the great mercies. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead one, but a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I mean, it only makes sense. If we're born-again believers, it only makes sense that we would want to give our whole lives, our bodies, our physical bodies, what we do with these bodies, to our awesome God. That's what we should be doing. So being a discerning church should not be a problem for us. We should be in the Word. We should know what's going on. In verse 3, he tells us that, you know, says, You found them to be liars and has borne and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. I mean, this church is amazing. I mean, they're, they're serving Christ. They're, they're doing all that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, they're reaching people with the gospel. They're growing spiritually. Um, things are happening at this church. This would be a church that we would desire to go, I think, as believers, uh, and would be excited to go. Uh, but we do get a little, a little bit of bad news. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And uh, he says, because thou hast left thy first love. That's a, that's a strong statement. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's, let's finish up with the good. Um, with the good, he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, and this is, this is good. And I'm not really 100% sure about the Nicolaitans, um, but most commentaries or things you read, would say this about them. Um, they say that uh, Irenaeus writes that Nicholas, who was made a deacon in Acts chapter 6, was a false believer who later became apostate. But because of his credentials, he was able to lead the church astray. And like Balaam, he led the people into immorality and wickedness. The Nicolaitans, followers of Nicholas, were involved in immorality and assaulted the church with sensual temptations. Clement of Alexander says that they abandoned themselves to pleasures like goats leading a life of self-indulgence and their teaching perverted grace and replaced liberty with license. So these, these people, this church at Ephesus, they hated them. Um... William Barclay says it this way. He says, The Nicolaitans, like all deceivers that come from the body of Christ, claimed, quote, not that they were destroying Christianity, but that they were presenting an improved and modernized, modernized version of it. And I think, sadly, this kind of carries in a lot of, of what happens today. Um, you know, they're not trying to destroy it, but they just think they want to improve it and modernize it, and that's a dangerous thing to do. And it, it's just a, a beautiful thing. This church hated the idea of this. 
And uh, he goes on to say, uh, which I also hate, it said, These are powerful words, in that they came from our Savior, who is so rich in love. Whoever exactly the Nicolaitans were, and whatever exactly they did and taught, we learn something from Jesus' opinion of them. We learn that the God of love hates sin and wants people wants his people to also hate sin. Uh, that's a good question. Do we do we hate sin? Uh, sometimes from the looks of things, that's very questionable of whether or not we hate sin. We might hate some sin, uh, but I think we should strive to hate all sin, um, especially when pertaining to our own lives. Um, do we hate our sin enough to quit doing it um, or not? So that becomes a great question. And this church here hated the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. These people didn't tolerate evil in the church. They didn't like the evil outside the church. They held fast to the firm foundations of the gospel. And the biblical truth, uh, they stood firm. They didn't waver, and that, that's what we need to be doing today. We need to be a firm uh, church. We don't need to be compromising. We don't need to be giving in. Um, but, but Christ did have, he did have a rebuke, and, and that rebuke was strong, and it's uh, that they left their first love. And... Uh, their their love and their passion had grown had grown cold and they just kind of got into serving and through the mechanics of it and kind of kind of lost the the original passion uh you know as a, a person is is newly saved they have such a desire to serve and they just want to go share christ with everybody and sadly, over the course of time, it seems that all these things start to die down. And we just start going through the motions a bit. And ultimately, that's, that's what was happening here at Ephesus. Uh, they were still serving. They were still doing good. They were still getting the gospel out, being faithful and discerning, and still doing all these things. But they started just doing it kind of mechanically, um, just kind of going through the, the motions and um, God gives a, a, a kind of reference um, to this in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 2. And starting in verse 1, he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. But here's God talking about he remembered the passion of Israel when they followed after him, even in a place they didn't know. And I think that happens to us sometimes today. I think sometimes today we tend to grow a little cold. Um, we're not fervent like we used to be. And a lot of times I think that happens when we get out of the Word of God. When we're not in the studying His Word and growing in the knowledge of Him, I think at some point today we can we can start to get kind of lackadaisical or, or cold or maybe just going through the motions um, in the gospel of John chapter 14 he says in verse 21 he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him in verse 23 he says if a man love me he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come into him and make our abode with him. That's just a beautiful picture right there. But if we love him, we keep his commandments. That's, that's, how, we, that's how we love him, by doing what he desires for us to do. Not what we desire to do, but what he desires for us to do. 
as a church, you know, how, how can we as individuals restore this love? You know, if we've lost this love and we're, we're going through the motions, you know, we're, we still read a little bit and we, we still enjoy going to church and, and we're still sharing the gospel and, and we're still doing things, but it's just, it's just something's different. We don't have that same love and our same passion for our Lord as we had. Um, he gives us instruction. Uh, this is a, a very serious offense. Um, and he's, he basically says that unless you repent, I'm going to shut this church down. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do away with it. I'm going to remove it. So he gives us instruction. He tells us to remember. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. He tells us to remember. You know, what are we remembering? We're remembering that love that we had for Christ when we were first brought out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. You know, we remember where we were. We're these, these wretched sinners, uh, destined for hell. I mean, that's, we, we came to understand that this is what we deserve, and we are enemies of God, haters of God. And God, by his grace, saves our wretched soul and brings us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. This is what we remember. We remember where he brought us out of, what he did, his work, not ours his finished work on the cross we remember that we remember that uh, we can't forget where we came from we don't need to dwell on these things but we need to remember the grace and mercy of our great God that saved us we need not ever forget that uh, because we deserve none of it we serve a God who does not give us <laughs> what we deserve and I hope that we're thankful for that. But not only do we remember, but he tells us to repent. We need to repent for just going through the motions. We need to repent for growing cold to our gracious God. We need to repent um, because we're not being in the Word like we should. Uh, we need to repent as we're not giving our bodies to Him as we should. Um, all these things we need to repent of. Because he's worthy. Um, we don't want to just be going through the motions. I mean, when we go to church, do we just go to sit on the pew? We hear a sermon and we leave and go home? Are we participating? Are we serving? Are we growing uh, and, and striving to help others to grow? Are we edifying the body and his congregants? Are we praying for our pastors and encouraging them in the truth? Um, so that they can grow and uh, feed the flock as they're, they're called to do. And are we building one another up uh, in the church uh, so that we can go out and proclaim this gospel? Uh, these are all things we need to be doing. And he says to do the deeds. He says to remember whence thou art fallen, to repent and do the first works do what you did in the beginning you know do these things that you did when you were hungering for christ hungering to know more i mean we wanted to we, we wanted to study the word we wanted to know him and we wanted to serve him because of all that he has done i mean we should have great desire to serve him we should have great desire to be in the word you know it's so often today so sad that bibles don't hardly get opened anymore um so many people sit on pews and for lack of a better word are ignorant of scripture uh and we we don't think that we need to really know the bible because we have our personal relationship well the reality is the only way that we can have that personal relationship is through the study of his word, the way he's revealed himself to us through his written word. We have 66 books of revelation of God that he's desired for us to know about him. And we don't get anything else. He's not going to come 
speak with us and give us any any more information than what we have between the covers of our Bibles. So we should truly strive to know what it says. Because as believers, don't we want to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? If so, we need to do what He tells us to do. Uh, we don't need to grow cold on Him. Uh, when we see that happening, we need to be in prayer. We need to get in the Word. Uh, draw near to Him. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't go anywhere. We do. Um, but these are the warnings He's giving, uh, telling us to remember, to repent, and to do. You know, and the reality is, He says this, He says, Or else, I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. That's hard. That's hard. He, he's, he so much desires us to worship Him in spirit and truth, to worship Him the way He desires us to do it, and to do it with a whole heart that He's willing to remove the entire place, to shut it down if we don't repent, if we don't turn and do the things, not only outwardly, but with the right motive. Is Jesus Christ our motive? Is the salvation that we have through Christ our motivation for what we do? Does our love for others strive through the love that He poured into us? We can't grow cold on that. We can't compromise that. Um, it's what He desires from us. And He's worthy of it. And He has every right to demand that we worship Him the way he desires to be worshipped because it's about him, not about us. Uh, in verse 7, he tells us, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In other words, hear what I'm saying to you. Read this letter. Hear what I'm saying and do it. If you've grown cold on the Lord, remember. Remember the amazing grace. Remember the salvation that He gave to you as a gift. He purchased you with His shed blood while you were still His enemy. Remember this. And then repent of whatever it is you need to repent of and get back to doing the things you did in the beginning. And if you didn't do them, start doing them. Study His Word. Read His Word. Attend the Bible-believing church. Fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Be a productive member of a church and serve Him with other fellow believers to edify one another, to build up one another, to correct one another, um, to encourage, and uh, to hold one another accountable uh, when we sin. When we sin. But he says to him who overcomes. So the question is, who's he that overcomes? First John chapter 5 gives us a good idea. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. We'll just read all of those. He says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous to us. That's a, a little sentence that we should really take to heart. Um, to do the things that our Lord desires of us to do should not be grievous <laughs> for us. For whatever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. 
And this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So those that truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have truly been born again, will be the overcomers. You will persevere to the end because you're being kept by God's power according to First Peter. And that would be First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the perseverance of the saints. That's, that's the doctrine of perseverance. We will overcome if we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us that to those that overcome, I'll give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What a promise. What a promise. And how temporary this, this world is. And, and what a vapor our life is. I hope as we looked at this church and that we might reflect on our own lives and search to see if we've grown cold. Have we lost our first love? Um, in a devotion book called Remember and Return, it says this, it says, Love turned cold is the forerunner of spiritual apathy, which then leads to a love for the world, compromised with evil, corruption, death, and finally judgment. It says, Paul truly knew the value of a relationship to Jesus Christ. And as we look in Philippians uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 7 and 8, he's, Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win. Christ. There's nothing in this life on earth that's more valuable or even worthy of comparison than our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question for us, I guess, comes, is our love growing cold? Are the things of this world growing ever more dim? Do we care less for the things of the world and more for the things of God? Are we growing in that or have we just gotten into a habit are we just living our lives, going through the motions, doing the same thing every day? I might rise up in the morning and do my little devotion and go to work and come home. I say my prayer at dinner time, and then on Wednesday and Sunday I go to church. Am I just going through the motions? Or is my life being lived with a passion and a zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I desiring to know Him through His written Word? Do I have a passion for lost souls? Am I taking the gospel out as I go about my days at work? What am I doing? Where do I even stand with Christ? Uh, I hope we can examine ourselves to these things, and I, I hope that we can rekindle that love if it's growing cold. Um, if not, I'll be praying that all those that might listen that might be struggling, um, that you might return Remember and return and start doing the things you did in the beginning. So with that, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these letters to these churches that we might grow in a greater knowledge and understanding of what it is you desire of us and that we might faithfully uh, eliminate anything that we do uh, that's not pleasing to you. I pray that we just cut it off 
and allow your word to transform our lives, individually as well as corporately. And uh, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed for the remission of sins for all those that believe, that he took the full wrath and punishment for our sins, and that that sacrifice was acceptable and pleasing in your sight as he was resurrected on the third day and now sits at your right hand, interceding for all of his sheep. We thank you for that salvation. We pray, God, that if anybody listens to this that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you might convict them of sin, grant them repentance, help them fall prostrate before you and cry out for mercy. For we know that you're faithful to all those that seek you with a whole heart, you will be found. So we pray that for any that might be lost. Draw them to yourself, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. Grant them the amazing gift of salvation that they might serve you all the days of your life, their lives, excuse me. And God, we just pray for, for those of us that do know you that, that we're not growing cold, that we would grow in our, our relationship with you, that we would hunger and thirst for truth, that we would not compromise and waver in the midst of this dark and wicked world we live in, in a world that, that has no absolute truth in it. But we know that your word and your word alone is absolute and the enduring truth that will last forever and ever. And we thank you for it. May we stand firmly on it and glorify you in all that we do. And it's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, I thank you for listening today. And uh, I just pray until next time that you'd be studying the Word and growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may His peace be with you.